Welcome to Life's Closing Notes, the podcast that looks into the profound and often misunderstood world of end-of-life care. In today's episode, we have a truly remarkable guest, Arlene Steputat, whose life and career have been dedicated to supporting others in their most significant moments of need. Let's listen in to her Zoom interview with our host. I was wondering if you could explain a little about how you got involved with end of life and supporting people in this way. I think for me, and this is often true for other people in the field, it started when I had the first death in my life. And the first death was my father's death, which was unexpected. And my mom and I were away from our home waiting for my dad to pick us up from church. and. He didn't come and he didn't come. And so finally, someone else from the church offered to give us a ride home, figuring, you know, in those days, there was no cell phones or that kind of stuff. You just didn't know where people were. And so this gentleman drove my mom and I home. And I remember coming down my street and seeing it felt like thousands of people on my front lawn and an ambulance and a fire truck in front of my house and just knowing something was really wrong and we could see the house was not on fire. My grandmother, my mother's mother, lived with us at the time and she was at that point probably in her later 70s. And we got out of the car and my mother asked somebody, is it the older woman? And they said, no, it's the man. And then a neighbor friend swooped me up and took me away from the whole scene. And then later I was brought in and told quite publicly, not by my mother, that my father had died. I was 11 years old. It was four days before my 12th birthday and right before Christmas. And I started to cry. And then I saw that my tears started my mother's tears and I stopped crying. And I stopped crying for a long time and I took on the responsibilities of sort of being my mother's partner. I started to go to work, a whole long thing. I would say that that first death experience, and at that time, no one knew what to do with children. They didn't even explain anything, you know, and I'm an only child with not a lot of extended family at all. So I kind of dealt with it all by myself. Years later, not that long later, when I was 19, I was in England and a friend got murdered. It was national news. It was traumatic. Again, the communication was an email and all that stuff. And I did what I needed to do, which was to be strong and not really talk about it very much. And there was no modeling for any of that, and especially a murder. Nobody wanted, you know. So it just seemed that as my life went forward, I had a lot of loss. In 1989, I had a suicide in March and then three deaths in a row in May, one through AIDS, one through car crash, one through alcoholism. And I was just spent. And I realized I had to start to deal with death as a factor in my life. At the same time, the AIDS crisis was pretty prevalent. I was working in New York City. I was watching people I knew die. I was taking care of street kids watch them die, help start a program for babies with AIDS, watch them die. And so with all of that loss, I did start to do some deep grief work. And I realized I had to integrate death into life because it was going to continue to happen. 
And so that started me really going back and healing the first wound, the early wounds, doing the grief work, probably in my 30s, for that little girl that was so bewildered. I just realized that none of us knew how to deal with death very well, and none of us really knew how to deal with grief very well. And I started to do my own healing and seeing how profound it was. And certainly being in New York City in the AIDS crisis, where the grief and the loss was pervasive, it was the other pandemic, right? The pandemic I lived through before COVID. So that in a kind of spiritual awakening for me had me come to the place where I understood that this was mine to do that these early experiences were a training ground. And then I went on to work at the Alzheimer's Association. And of course, if your loved one has Alzheimer's, that's going to end up in death. And I worked in hospice for eight years. So I would say that I was prepared in the first part of my life with these experiences, as painful as they were, and the range of death experiences, so that I could be more empathetic no matter what someone was experiencing and having understood what it was like not to be listened to or not to be tended to. I wanted to make sure that people were tended to if they were dying. Their journey started before 11 years old then. Before 12. I was 11 years old. So what happened is, yeah, my dad died on December 5th and my birthday was the 9th. So we had his funeral and then it was my birthday and in December. And so one of the things, and it, I mean, it's, I have no judgment because nobody knew what to do with me, but I remember asking my mother all the time, why am I getting all these presents from people? Like I had all these birthday presents and all these Christmas presents from people. I had no idea who they were. I get it as an adult, your heart breaks for this child. But I was so bewildered. And my mother was also in her own grief and now having to start life without a partner. And she was relatively young. She was only 48. And she had her mother and her child and no job. She was in shock herself. So I don't blame anyone. It just we've come a long way, in especially with children and, and death and dying. And I think we have a long way to go. And I want to be part of that process. I think it's wonderful how you took these difficult situations and turned it into a way to help other people. Something I was curious, in your end of life doula work, how do you stay strong when you're with the family or, or is that something that's important? In your experience, is it better to enter their grieving and join that? Or is it your job to be the strong person who, even though everybody's grieving, you're stable and strong? I think every death, every patient, every family is different. But I do think one of the important things for anyone that works in the end of life field is to continually do your own inner work and including your own grief work. Because if I'm bringing my own grief or unprocessed grief to the bedside, now I'm not helping this family. I'm using this family to stimulate my own grief. When we worked for hospice, we would not allow volunteers who had had a recent death to be at the bedside for about a year because even though people said, I'm fine, you know, they weren't fine. You have to go through the process. 
I think one of the things is having a servant's heart about this work, being in a kind of neutrality, like a, a loving neutrality and being an orchestrator. Sometimes there's lots of family dynamics going on. So it doesn't mean that I don't get attached to or really care about my patients, depending on how long I've been involved with them. But becoming friends with the family and all that is not my role. It, supporting the family is there. It doesn't mean I haven't shed a tear over the loss of someone I cared about. So I have other doulas I talk to, and that's where it's more appropriate. I should not be bringing my sadness and upset into the mix. That's not going to support them. Then they're going to attend to me. My job is to sort of attend to them as best as I can while I'm with them. But my job is to attend to me afterwards. So it's a fine dance, and I use my support systems to do that. All of your experience, that's giving you the strength to be able to keep this neutrality. Well, I've seen some beautiful deaths. You know, I've seen people and families have beautiful moments and great loving. And then it becomes like this. So instead of being sad and depressed, it's a privilege to be in the family unit for that time, to be at those precious moments, to be with them and watch them say their goodbyes or watch them have those tender moments. When it's beautiful, it fills you in an odd way and you see the person at, at peace. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone that's passed, but it's a beautiful experience. I know that might sound weird to someone that hasn't been around a dead person. And it's hard when it's someone you love, but I have also been with people that are very grateful it's both, especially if someone's out of suffering, someone's had a long illness, they've struggled, and it's like now they're at peace. So it's mixed. You're sad that the person died, and you're grateful that they're not in pain or they're not struggling. They're out of their physical body, and then the whole body comes at peace. And depending on what your view is about what happens next, some people believe other things happen. Some people think that's it, and whatever they believe is fine with me. You know, I don't have an agenda for what people should believe. There have been some beautiful experiences. And then often doulas will help people do a ritual of honoring the body. We do, we do a thing like either honoring or blessing the body. So they actually say goodbye to the body temple with an anointing and thanking the different body parts. And that's a beautiful thing to see. It's painful for their family, but it helps them. They'll start telling stories about their loved one. You say goodbye to the thoughts and their eyes and maybe their voice. I know I was doing one and we asked the people that were there, well, tell us about the words or the things that you remember your father saying. And all of a sudden, everybody talked about this man singing, that he had this beautiful voice. And then they were, oh, remember when he sang this? And, and it was just this beautiful remembrance of this person, you know? so. It's not always, death is tough, but it, it's both. It's beautiful and it's sad. You can hold both. And I guess I've learned how to do that. I like the story of the man singing, but that is a, a beautiful moment. Are there any other beautiful moments that, that you could share that particularly touched you or brought some joy in the room at this moment? I remember a woman who was actually at a kind of hospice 
but she had been an artist her entire life. And so we brought in some of her paintings to put around the room. And we set up a fountain and we bring in fresh flowers and we cover up TV screens with beautiful cloths. We make the room a special place. And for this woman, she just lit up when she saw her artwork around her because it was her legacy. It was like her own beauty that she had created. And it just changed her whole experience of kind of looking around and seeing all that she had created in her life and that that was going to stay behind and people loved her art, you know, so there was some peace for her and joy. It was really powerful for me. I was brought in at the very last minute. This gentleman was going to use the end of life auction act, which in, in the state of California, where I live is when someone with the hospice or with the doctor takes drugs to end their life legally, they have to be able to ingest it, but there's a whole process. And this gentleman was going to do it in a couple of days. And I was just brought in to meet him to see if there was anything else I could do for him. And they had really a lot of things in hand. But I met this gentleman and he wasn't really speaking a whole lot, but he was very spiritual himself. I came close to the bed and I just introduced myself and we just gazed at each other eye to eye without words. And I had such a connection with that man. And it was a gift for me. And he said something like, oh, you know. And I went, I do. And we just had this beautiful, for me, it was just such a gift. And that was my only experience with him. And then he was going to use the drug the next day and they only wanted family and all that. But, but I take that away with me because... This was someone who was not afraid to leave his body and was already kind of what I would say, crossing the veil back and forth to the next place and kind of bringing it back. And I feel like he blessed me with just his soul gaze. And I remember that. I, I wanted to ask you if there is somebody who's feeling the calling towards this work or feels like it's something they wanted to, to pursue. I know there's probably no specific doula course, you know, there's different certifications, but is there something you would recommend for somebody who would want to help in this way? There are actually doula specific courses that you can, there's a number of programs around and I would encourage somebody to just Google doula training. I can think of four or five of them and most of them are reputable and have certification programs and some we're online. Some of them are live again because COVID's over. But in answer to your question, there's a, a couple of things. I always tell people to get involved with a hospice as a volunteer. If you volunteer at a hospice, you're going to understand how to work with the team. Um, sometimes people feel called to do this work because they had a beautiful death with their only family member. And what I always say is, I'm glad you had a great goodbye with your grandma. I'm really glad you had that experience or whomever. But you have to understand how the team works. You need experience beyond your own immediate family to just understand all the dynamics, how to work with a hospice team. There's a lot to learn. I would also encourage people to read. There's a lot of great books out there about being with the dying and experiences. Just There's just a lot to read and learn. There's webinars now. So there's the 
understanding from the mental level, but I think it's also really important to ask yourself, what is your draw to this work? What is it? And have you faced your own mortality yourself? You know, when I used to run my hospice program, I trained volunteers. And one of the things that people had to do was to write their own obituary. And they had to write it as if they died today. Not like I'm 110 or, you know, it's like, okay, you die today. And people would really have a hard time with it. And I'd say, but here's the thing. One is none of us know how long we have. I could die today. What do I know? So what have I valued? What have I done in my life that I'm proud of? What would I like to be remembered for? What do I hope people would remember about me, even if I'm 25? You know, so there's that. The second part is also to help them have empathy for the families that they serve, because the families are going to have to do that. And sometimes they do it, but certainly once their loved one dies, they're going to have to do it. So if it's hard for you now and you're fine and you're healthy, imagine what it's like for this family. If you're averting the fact that you might die, then you need to come to terms with that because you might. And that, you know, it's not just those people who are on hospice that are going to die. I encourage people to do a dance with death. How many funerals have you gone to? Where have you learned things? What have you noticed from other people? When you tell people you're interested in becoming a doula, what is the reaction of your friends and family? Because lots of people will not be comfortable with it. You have to be willing to find your tribe, too. There's something I just wanted to mention because I went to your website, which is dyinggrace.com, right? Dying in, dyingingrace.com. Dyingingrace.com. And there's really a wonderful video showing your story in a really quick way. So I recommend anybody who's listening, go check that out. It's very touching. Well done. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or say to help somebody who's maybe listening to this? Well, I would say a couple of things. One is, Focusing or having a a focus on death does not make me sad. It makes me appreciate every moment. I take no one or nothing for granted. I say the way that I intend to die in grace is to live in grace every day. So there's something about understanding how fleeting the moments are, and it helps to not get caught up in some of the things like being annoyed that you're in a traffic jam. It helps put things in perspective. I invite people to trust their call and their curiosity and lean into it and explore it. If you're grieving and there's lots of people who are, there's lots of help out there, both online and in your local communities. We, as a culture, are still very grief illiterate. So I would invite people to tend to their own grief And we grieve for all kinds of things. The planet, I mean, I'm grieving for Maui right now because the fires, there's lots of grief around. People are still grieving out through COVID. Do your inner work, tend to yourselves because it will always make you a better servant, however you choose to serve. And this may not be your calling. So find what is and find the way that's your way to serve. Because I think we owe that to each other to find a way to serve and love. I agree with you. 
So again, for anybody looking for some help, we can go to dyingandgrace.com. We spoke with Arlene. How do I say your last name? Sorry about that. Stepyutat. Arlene Stepyutat. Reach out to me with your questions, whether you're interested in becoming a doula or you need some grief support, you don't know where to go, or you just, someone you love just got a diagnosis, like whatever it is, don't deny it, embrace it and learn from it. Thank you for listening to Life's Closing Notes. That was our host, Josh Roy Ball and Arlene Stepyutat live via Zoom. Bye-bye for now.